Hello and welcome back to our daily devotional podcast. As you can hear, it's a different voice today. Due to some circumstances and unfortunately for you, it is me, Chris, who will be taking the podcast. But fortunately for you, this is only temporary. You will get to hear the soothing, low baritone voice of Pastor again next week and continue to hear his deep insights. But for now, bear with me and let's start. We'll be doing Acts chapter 23 verses 1 to 11. Acts chapter 23 verses 1 to 11. Let us pray. Father, as we read your word, we pray that you speak your truth to us. We pray for you to guide my tongue over the next few days and for your word to take root in our hearts and in our minds. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 23, verses 1 to 11. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law. Yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, How dare you insult God's high priest? Paul replied, Brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest. For it is written, Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Then Paul knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, and that there are neither angels nor spirits. And the Pharisees believe all these things. But the Pharisees believe all these things. There was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord appeared near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, chapter 23 kickstarts some of Paul's trials and his brushes with death, and, and we see how God's sovereignty is at play during this chapter, how amazingly God is controlled even though things appear so chaotic for Paul and how God uses people and events to bring Paul to Rome. So we'll be talking about that over the next few days and today we'll be touching on Paul's obedience to God despite all the feelings of injustice and anger that he has and also how God encourages us in times of need. So we start by looking into Paul's verbal spat with Ananias, the high priest of Jerusalem. 
But before we go into that, I'd like to point out some fun facts regarding Ananias. And apparently there are three men by the name of Ananias appearing in the Bible. It just so happened that all three appeared in the book of Acts as well. The first Ananias was the husband of Sapphira. If you remember in an earlier podcast, in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead by God. And we go on to the second Ananias, Ananias of Damascus. He's the one who played a huge role in the conversion story of Paul. And I like to call him the good Ananias. And now, the Ananias we'll be talking about today was a high priest in Jerusalem. So, just wanted to con- clear the confusion there a bit if there was any in the first place. And now, back to the main story. So here, Paul was put on trial before the Sanhedrin, and he began by saying that he had fulfilled his duty to God in all good conscience. How many of us dare to make such a proclamation, saying things like, I've always had good conscience before God. I am blameless before God up to this point. And who would believe that? The high priest Ananias certainly did not believe Paul, and he ordered for Paul to be struck on the mouth. Now, surely this is not some normal slap that we give to ourselves or a friendly slap we give to our friends sometimes, but but more like a hard punch to Paul's face. So can you imagine the anger that Paul felt then? He was angry not only because he was punched, but he also realized how crooked Ananias was. Now, Ananias was clearly breaking the law because it was illegal to punish someone in Jewish law before they were found guilty. And so this was an unfair trial for Paul and Ananias was clearly an unrighteous priest. So Paul lost control there for a moment and he scolded, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. So Paul called Ananias a whitewashed wall, which basically means a hypocrite. And for those of you who know the analogy of a whitewashed wall, I mean a whitewashed wall is basically an ugly wall. So you slap a white paint on it to cover it up. So on the outside, it looks good, but on the inside, ugly. And Jesus used a similar analogy when he was addressing the teachers of the law and the Pharisees in Matthew 23. So in an emphatic fashion, Paul branded Ananias a hypocrite. And after that, those near Paul told him, How dare you insult God's high priest? In which Paul replied, Brothers, I did not know he was the high priest, for it is written, Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Now, when Paul said that, it was not because he was scared of authority like some of us or many of us do. I remember there's this American reality TV show called Undercover Bosses. I'm not sure if it's still screening today, uh, but in the show, there are company bosses who go undercover as a worker on the ground. Now, imagine if you were one of those workers and for some reason, this disguised boss makes you angry and you ended up scolding him. Now, although this did not happen in the reality show, but if we put a little twist over here and and when you are scolding that disguised boss, a colleague happens to know 
that he is the boss and he revealed it to you there and then, would you have continued scolding the boss? Well, for most people, I think it's almost 100% that they would stop scolding. But for very different reasons. Probably because of fear uh, of our jobs, uh, fear for our promotions as well. But this is not the case for Paul. He genuinely stopped scolding Ananias because he respects Ananias as a higher authority, despite how, criti how hypocritical Ananias was. Uh, well, there are many speculations of whether Paul recognized Ananias as a high priest right from the start, which resulted in some different opinions over Paul's tone and thoughts behind what he said. There are some who say that Paul had an eye problem, hence he could not see who he was talking to clearly. And I know that sounds like a joke, but it's really not. Uh, there are reasons why there is such a speculation. Uh, that could be derived from other parts of the Bible. So some people felt that, yeah, he had an eye problem. He did not recognize Ananias and he was honest when he said that he, if he would have known, he would have not spoken evil of, uh, of the rulers. And there are others that felt that there was no way for Paul to not recognize the high priest, especially when Paul used to be a member of the Jewish council. So in recognizing the high priest, he went ahead to score the high priest anyway. When others told him, hey, he's the high priest, you know, he must have been sarcastic in his remark, maybe going like, oh, sorry, I didn't know he's the high priest, since he never ever behaved like one. However, I'm inclined to believe that Paul honestly did not know that Ananias was the high priest, and not because of the eye problem, but for several reasons. Paul had been out of Jerusalem doing ministry for the previous 15 years and during that time, there was a change in the leadership of the high priest. And Paul, who just returned to Jerusalem, might not have known this. Also, he eventually quoted scripture on how we should not speak evil of our rulers. It is quite hard to think that Paul would make use of scripture this way to back up any form of sarcasm. So... And another reason was that they did not meet at the usual place that they usually would when they hold a Jewish trial. And some say that Ananias was not wearing the usual robes which, which would allow one to easily identify him as the high priest. So for these reasons, it is likely that Paul only knew that Ananias was a high priest when those that are around him told him. And upon knowing, he humbled himself and stopped his moment of anger. Now, I think Paul meant every word he said, but he still acknowledged that one should not speak evil of our rulers. And this is regardless of what we think of our rulers, because Paul certainly thinks that Ananias is a whitewashed wall. However, to Paul, even that was no excuse for him to talk bad about Ananias. Now, imagine how difficult that must be for Paul. Would we have backed down if we were Paul? I know I probably would have continued scolding, saying something like, You? A high priest? So what? You don't even act like one. Yet Paul, despite his anger, despite the injustice, he humbled himself and he obeyed the word of God. Now, many times we have the knowledge of the word in our heads, but 
in reality, it can be very hard to apply sometimes, especially in moments of anger and during hard times. We may not be, we may not even be conscious that we are speaking bad of our rulers sometimes. We may even justify why we speak bad of our rulers. So I thought today we may talk about some of these situations uh, in our lives. And one situation is the way we speak to authority when, because we feel wronged or we feel injustice or unfairness. I repeat, because we feel we are wronged, we think that gives us the right to speak in a certain way to authority. Now, I remember I, when I was young, I think probably secondary school, there was this huge quarrel with my mum. And with my limited perspective then, as a young kid, I, I felt unfairness and injustice. There were probably considerations from the adult's point of view that I may not have understood. I remember talking back to my mum very angrily, probably in a manner that if I see myself doing that now, I probably would want to give myself a big tight slap. Now, that's when my dad stepped in and interrupted the argument. Well, I won't tell you what he did to me, but <laughs> actually, is it worse if I don't tell you? Because you'll, you'll then imagine the worst things that he could have done. For instance, hang me over the ceiling fan and I spin round and round as the ceiling fan turns also. Well, never mind. Let's not tell you. Keep your imaginations running wild. And if you're curious, you can ask him in church, uh, provided he remembers. Uh, I don't remember why I quarreled with my mum, but I remembered that lesson very well that my dad taught me. The lesson was that it did not matter who was right or wrong in the argument. It did not matter how much injustice I faced. The truth is that there, that was no way to talk to a parent or to someone of higher authority. There was lack of respect, lack of respect for an elder person, and regardless of the injustice I may have felt, that was no excuse to my words used in anger. Another situation we may find ourselves, uh, that we, we may find it easy to speak badly of our bosses and leaders is, is when we try to justify reasons for doing so. Because we have negative feelings, we feel what our bosses did was wrong. Hence, it is okay for us to say all this because because it is the truth, and that's what we think. Uh, well, I once had this Christian colleague who told me how bad a boss is. I didn't really know that boss very well at that time. Uh, so I told my colleague to, to stop, not to continue, uh, because I wanted to withhold judgment until I work. I personally work with the boss myself. Uh, however, she justified by saying that she was trying to warn me for my sake so that I could prepare myself and protect myself. Uh, she genuinely feels she's doing something right. Still, was it right to do this in the name of warning others? Trying to cloud or influence the judgment of people about someone we do not know yet. Even if we knew the person, is that the right thing to do? And sometimes it's really difficult. We, we feel angry with the higher ups decision especially when it leads to many changes when it leads to more work where when there may be lack of communication 
So we think that our complaints to other colleagues are justified. But I've come to learn that often we do not really get the full picture behind decisions made by the leadership team. Considerations and factors made in those decisions that we are not privy to. Well, some, some of the rationales could be communicated down to the ground, but not everything could be communicated. And many times we tend to assume the worst. Well, we find ourselves in Singapore, sometimes we criticize our government a lot. As if it's our entitlement and as if the government owes us a living. We take a swipe at some policies without knowing the implications if we do not have that policy in place. So, is it fair to spread criticism if we do not fully understand the implications of the decisions being made? If there's anything to learn from Paul's example, it is not about how bad the, our rulers are. And most of our rulers are not even half as bad as Ananias. It is about our speech and what it could do to us. Now, God is clearly concerned about this. And, and there are many verses that warn against speaking ill of others, not only of rulers. And there is good reason for that. What we speak could largely affect what we become. We speak ill of others, no matter how justified they are, and the negative feelings that are festering in us will surface. Proverbs 13 verse 3 says, The one who guards his mouth preserves his life, and the one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Our tongue could bring us ruin. Hence, we have to be slow to anger, be slow to speak. And the truth is that many of these talks, when we speak ill of our rulers, are not likely to lead to any significant changes we want to see in our rulers anyway, unless we engage in some form of meaningful feedback with them. But instead, when we find ourselves doing so much of this, it leads us to feeling resentment, it leads to many negative feelings, it leads to sowing discord between people and eventually creating a toxic environment where people feel wary of one another. And ultimately, we also have to be reminded that God chooses our leaders as well, despite our dislike for some of them. We can choose to sulk, we can choose to be unhappy, or make things difficult for our rulers. Or we can try our best to cooperate for unity. Romans 13 verses 1 to 2 says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists resist the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Now, that being said, there are times when some people do suffer because some leaders are just outright bullies. And these are the times that we may need to protect ourselves and there are proper channels to do that for, for reporting and there are different authorities to report to if such cases happen. In other cases, some bosses may be blatantly doing evil. 
Acts 5 verse 29 says, we ought to obey God rather than men. Now, that seems to sound contradictory to the Romans verse. It's like on one hand, God, you are telling us to obey authorities. Yet on the other, you say obey you and not obey men. But there are really times where we simply cannot follow the orders of our bosses, especially if the orders disobey God's commandments. If a dishonest boss orders us to be an accomplice in embezzling company funds, do we then apply Romans and say, God, you chose this leader for me, so I should not resist? Or when such a case happens, do we then call the police? Now, that's not exactly speaking evil of our ruler anymore, but really reporting a crime. So let our speech be in accordance to God's word, and whether be it speaking ill or abiding by his rules when listening to our bosses. <clears throat> now, at this point, we move on with Paul's defense in his trial. And, and we see that as Paul continues, it led to another uproar, yet another riot. Now, I, I don't think it was Paul's intention to incite riots. Uh, remember what Paul came to Jerusalem to do. It was to preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here he also mentioned that that was the reason why he was put on trial. And I believe that he wanted to continue that message. However, it ended in failure in front of Paul's eyes. And the dispute became so violent that the Roman commander had to take Paul away to protect him and bring him to the barracks. Now, uh, about this Roman soldier and his agenda, uh, we'll talk about him over the coming days. Uh, but for now, uh, let's just leave it as that. Eventually, the event ended up with Paul being back in jail. Imagine Paul's state of mind at this point. All alone in jail once again. He must have felt like his ministry in Jerusalem was a total failure. He spent the previous 15 years collecting offerings so that he could return to Jerusalem and give back to the Jewish church, minister to them and unite them. Don't even talk about unity. If anything, Paul's presence divided them. People make up lies about him and tried to kill him. When his closest friends begged him not to go to Jerusalem, Paul, who felt heartbroken because he had to depart with his closest friends, he went anyway, only to meet with failure after failure. It was at this moment that the Lord appeared to Paul. Now, God has appeared to Paul a few times by, by this time, and each time with a different purpose. This time it was to encourage Paul. And our God, knowing how dejected Paul must be feeling, came to tell him, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify in Rome. Now, this speaks volumes of the nature of our God. It shows that our God knows our circumstances, understands how we feel in our circumstances, and is with us during those circumstances. If he did not know how Paul felt, he wouldn't have bothered to encourage Paul. God here affirms Paul's actions as well. I mean, Paul might have felt he was a total failure, but if Paul was truly messing up so bad, would God 
affirm him by saying that you have testified about me in Jerusalem. Would Paul, would God ask Paul to go to Rome to testify like how he did in Jerusalem? Did God say, Paul, I think you need to change this part about yourself or maybe you could do it this way instead? Like how we usually give other people feedback sometimes. No, God instead encourages him affirmed his actions, and asked him to do the same in Rome. Now, this is a message of hope for Paul rather than an order for Paul. I mean, Paul, Paul could well go like, ah, I feel like crap God and you are still making me go to Rome. But, but that's really not the case for Paul. Uh, for one thing, it has always been Paul's dream to minister in Rome and God reminded him of that future. Also, with how Paul having several brushes with death, he may have doubts whether he could survive the next day. Would he be put on trial again? And if there is going to be another riot, could he survive it now? Would the commander save him in time? God telling him to go to Rome gives him at least the hope that he will survive, at least until Rome. Now, in our lives, there are times that we struggle and circumstances look so bleak that it is hard to identify blessings and see how God is with us. How the Lord shows up for Paul shows how loving, how encouraging, and how compassionate our God is. We saw how God prepares the disciples for a heart-wrenching departure. And in many similar ways, God does that in our lives as well. We see how God reveals things in our lives and gives us the opportunities to say our last goodbyes. When we are really down, He comforts us. Maybe not in the way that Paul has experienced, but in many different ways for many of us. For some of us, it can be through a song. For others, it could be through the word. God also sends people to us to comfort us as well. How beautiful is that actually? And, and to us as children of God, how comforting it is for, know, for us to know that we have such a God. So here in this chapter, we see how, how much of an encourager our God really is. Uh, not a God that merely orders us to do things for His will, but but when we are really down sometimes, we can go to God. We, we have access to our Father for encouragement. Now, let us pray. Father, speak into our hearts that you may tame our hearts and our minds. For often there is anger, resentment, and we want to speak about it. It is difficult not to speak about it. Sometimes we want to fight those in authority because we may feel unjust. But Father, teach us how to do this wisely in a way that's pleasing to you. Teach us to respect and honour those in authority, whether we like them or not. Father, we pray for those going through difficult and painful times as well, that you may encourage and comfort them like what you did for Paul. 
some of us have doubts over whether what we are doing is right, whether our efforts are in vain, and sometimes we feel like we are failures. But God, we know that you do not view us as failures, and no matter what, you still love us very much and wants the best for us. We thank you for being the loving God that not only directs us, but a God that feels our pain, a God that comforts and encourages. So God, we pray that you bring peace to the hearts of those in pain, so that they may be filled with hope. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for bearing with me and listening. Have a blessed day. Goodbye.